Good morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our 15th episode of The Artful Nutmeg. As we reach the midpoint of the summer transfer window, we are revisiting our recurring Mount Rushmore of football. Fortunately for this episode, we are looking at the biggest transfers that fell through at the last minute, making club managers look like absolute fools. These are the biggest what-not-to-do stories in the football business world, and we're excited to dive in. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? Well, Tom, it's uh, great that we're kind of getting into this because uh, a whole lot is happening. So it's really nice that for this episode, a lot of our topic is actually going to be very relevant to what's happening in the news. There's been a lot of talk and yeah, we're getting into August and so there are shifting plans and uh players essentially you know being left in lurches there is uh last minute deals being made there's deals being made and then canceled it is uh kind of crazy out there and meanwhile you know we've had some good tournament uh football between uh the league's cup uh with MLS and Liga MX teams uh going on and then the women's world cup has been in full throttle again y- you were sick uh and and glad to see you're doing better and so we had to kind of miss out on uh kind of that tail end of the group stages and then part of the uh you know round of 16 and quarterfinals and stuff but it's been uh super exciting unfortunately United States got knocked out but your your lionesses are still going strong and yeah how have you been feeling about that <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm actually staying at my parents' place this weekend, and we have all planned to get up for the 6.30 a.m. game against Colombia, which is great because this is the first game for England that has not been at 3.30 in the morning. So I'm actually excited that we're going to be able to watch. Actually, and and I was... I was kind of happy to see that the Netherlands Spain game was at a very decent time last oh, night. Great. And you know, we'll we'll get into it, but I was I was very happy uh to see the Netherlands get knocked out. Uh you know, it's it's a little bit of that uh, chef chef's kiss uh karmic justice uh but no that was that was a fun game to watch and uh yeah we'll kind of we'll do a little catch up and a little talk later on but you know if, if you're ready i'm ready to kind of jump into this this is a topic yeah, go for it yeah that we've been talking for a while and so this is you and i just kind of talking about some of the craziest transfer deals to not happen and so I am starting off with Manchester United failing to land Kaladu Koulibaly. And this was a bit of a saga over like a handful of years. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. But in the fall of 2018, Manchester United were in hot pursuit of Italian club Napoli's super uh, powerful and agile center back Kaladu uh, Koulibaly. 
Uh, Koulibaly was a regular starter for Carlo Ancelotti, and uh, the two enjoyed a solid player-manager relationship. At the start of the 2018-19 season, Koulibaly signed a contract extension with Napoli that would end in 2023. At the time, European giants like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, and Manchester City were all vying to land the star defender. Uh, the gifted player joined Napoli in 2014 and made a name for himself, uh, not only with his physical prowess, but with his mental ability as well. A ball-playing center back, Koulibaly was uh, setting himself apart from traditional defenders with his technical ability. At the time, the Red Devils' defense was floundering as they did not invest in their center back positions. In their first 12 Premier League games, United only kept one clean sheet. Napoli knew uh, the special kind of player they had and weren't likely to play nice in the transfer negotiations. The club rejected an £80 million bid from Manchester United, and the club's chief executive, Aurelio De Laurentiis, uh, sent a minimum fee in the area of £100 million, or, or 100 million euros, 89 million pounds. The deal never materialized and United uh, endured a tumultuous season that saw the firing of manager Jose Mourinho and the hiring of former player uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as the caretaker manager and eventual full-time manager and finished sixth on the table. Uh, So in that time, you know, when, when you saw that sort of, you know, uh, pursuit happening, uh, were you hot on Koulibaly? Did you think he would be like the player that would like solidify everything for Manchester United? I think we've tried to get Koulibaly for maybe like five seasons in a row. Yeah. Um, he was one of those. The problem with Man United is that you're literally connected to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've, they get connected to like 80 players of transfer. Uh, a transfer window, but he was the one that kept popping out that everyone was like, yes, go get him. Go get him. Like, he's playing in Napoli. He's in Serie A. He'd do well in the Prem. And then, mm-hmm. you know, never ever happened, and I think we ended up getting Harry Maguire. Like, yes. Great. <laughs> so, great. yeah, and well, and so then kind of going back, and even... Even during that time, like a hundred million, you know, euros was like a big deal. And and you know, could you see that type of price tag going for a center back? Even though he he was like, and and is like a, an extremely talented player. Yeah, I mean, I thought that it would be the big signing that would turn things around. Um, especially mm-hmm. seeing those number of years were so bad for Man United that it was kind of like we need a big signing. Um, most of our signings were, you know, 30 plus year old strikers to for, you know, that's like, oh, this is the guy who's carrying the team. Uh, yeah. 36 year old Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we really need a signing that was going to be effective you know, someone that was going to come in and actually change the team. Um, but after many seasons, it just didn't look like the age range we were going for anymore. 
Exactly. And the thing was, Manchester United got very close in 2019 and actually the 2020 pandemic season. Uh, unfortunately, it was because of that pandemic and the fact that, you know, the, the league essentially shut down for a period of time and a whole lot of teams, you know, went into... Uh, kind of like a, a financial survival mode, uh, you know, in particular, like uh, you, you, we talk about this all the time was Barcelona essentially having to give up uh, Messi and like they could not pay players for a, a period of time. Like it was a really hairy situation, even for like big clubs with tons of money. Uh, however, that would not be the end of things as United returned to deal with Napoli for the player in 2022. In the previous summer, United had opted for Real Madrid's uh, Rafael Varane because Napoli again rebuffed United's transfer offer of $34 million. Uh, with the final year in Koulibaly's contract looming, United made a final push for the defender in the spring of 22. In the end, it was Chelsea of all teams who eventually landed the Senegalese defender. The London club completed the deal in July to sign him for a fee of around 33 million pounds. He signed a four-year deal with Chelsea worth about 160,000 pounds per week, and Chelsea had previously tried to sign Koulibaly in 2016, but the deal fell through. Chelsea had sold Antonio Rudiger to Real Madrid and Andreas Christian to Barcelona, leaving their backline thin for their next campaign. However, Chelsea would go on to implode in the 2022-23 season and recently had to offload uh, the pricey defender to the Saudi Pro League club Al-Halal in June 2023 for a fee of around tw uh, 20 million pounds. So that's that's <laughs> talk about coming into a situation that turned out to be a complete disaster. And, and now he's going to get a bag over in uh, Saudi Arabia. So, you know, I mean, for for Koulibaly, things haven't been too bad. I'm not mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm as a Man U fan, I'm not mad about it. To see he sort of came in and then it was like, oh, like that wasn't a good move. Um, we we got Veron and Lissandra instead, so I'm very happy with how that ended. Absolutely. But, you know, uh, with with your story here, this isn't so much a factor of like, you know, money or things getting in the way. This was more of kind of a natural disaster. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to focus on not not sagas so much, you know, sort uh -huh. of like is he, where is he going here? Is he going there? I sort of wanted to go with like the weird ones. Um, yeah. So they're a little bit they're going to be a little bit shorter in terms of what happened, but it's, it's they're more something you wouldn't see regularly in the transfer window. So I mm -hmm. wanted to look at, you know, on some guy that people might know as Lewandowski, who's obviously one of the best strikers in the world, who was born in Warsaw, Poland. Now, he's played for some of the best teams in the world. He's played for Barcelona, Bayern, and Dortmund. Now, in 700 games, over 700 games, he scored over 500 goals. He's truly one of the most prolific Strikers that we've had for a while. Mm -hmm. Now, when he was playing for Lech Pozan in Poland in 2010, he did get interest from one team, which was 
Blackburn Rovers. Now, for those who don't know Blackburn Rovers, they are a team in Lancashire, England. They are not exactly the biggest club. I'm sorry if there's a random Blackburn Rovers fan listening to this podcast, but they aren't uh-huh. exactly the biggest club. <laughs> now, with a bid of $4 million to land Lewandowski, it looked like Lewandowski was going to go, which, looking at his career, would be a huge change. Yeah. Now, the deal looks set to go until Europe that summer was unexpectedly covered in volcanic ash. If I don't know if you remember when this happened. I, I was, So, yeah, I remember, but I don't I actually completely forgot, like, when it actually happened. But, yeah. Yeah, I I know I had family who were like stuck in Europe because like, couldn't oh, fly man. out. <laughs> so basically, there the entire all of Europe are covered in volcanic ash, which then caused all of the flights to get grounded. Now going from Poland, mm-hmm. this was a little difficult to drive to Lancashire, England, given you know across Europe and England's on an island. Um, so. He was unable to go and get a flight, so he instead drove to Borussia Dortmund and signed with Borussia Dortmund instead. Now, this went to go and help Lewandowski score 88 goals in 158 games for them, where he also won two Bundesliga titles with them and also had a finals appearance in the Champions League. So my question is, how different would his career been if it wasn't for volcanic ash? I'd so... I'm trying to think, was uh, Blackburn, were they in the Premier League at the time? I want to say, let me think. I want to say that they weren't. Okay, so they were maybe championship. Yeah, I'm either going to get slated for having this wrong. Um, Check. I mean, this was what this. Well, if he was 21 at the time, he's like 36 now. Is that about where his age is? 21, 2010. So he's about 34, 34. OK, God, he looks a lot older. Like <laughs> he's, he's he does one of those guys. It's kind of the same with like Christian Pulisic. Uh, he already looked like 28 by the time he was uh, 18. And like it, it blows my mind yeah. even like when I see like how even a guy even like Mbappe I look at him and and sometimes I'm super surprised like that he's still super young like not even yeah. 25. Yet, I also so. I have to uh, add the apologies. Blackburn Rovers were in the Premier League at the time. So you know uh, I would say you know he was I I mean he would have been in the Prem. He would have been in the Prem. I think he is the type of player where, like, regardless, he would have risen to the occasion. And I I don't think it would have been too different for him. If if anything, it could have made things, you know, different for Blackburn or, you know, uh, as as far as uh, their, you know, sort of, uh, you know, where they've been sitting uh, over the years. But they um, they barely survived. So, so I mean, you know, that's sort of the thing is he ended up at uh, Borussia Dortmund. And I mean, uh, you know, 
Germany, like, I wouldn't exactly classify them as a farm league or anything like that. But, like, uh, I think, you know, when you're talking about the great inequality between, like, the top three or so and then the rest of the table, like, you've got Bayern Munich that's just been an absolute powerhouse for over a decade and then you know uh Dortmund has been up there and like you know he he had uh solid teammates uh with Dortmund and I I think you know uh he probably flourished much better in that system than he would have with uh Blackburn but I don't know that's the thing about the prem you never know what's going to happen and like particularly with uh Erling Holland you know people thought with him coming over, uh, he would not have been as dominant as he was when he was in the Bundesliga. <laughs> but as we all yeah. saw last season, that's not how it went. So, uh, are, are, are we the farmers moving league? on? <laughs> oh, are, are we the farm? Um, no, I, I mean, I look, I, I love, uh, the premier league. Like I think, in where like a lot of leagues you talk about like big three or big four teams and then the rest are kind of like whatever i think in the prem you've got a solid six or seven teams that like you could say can be anywhere in that range and then you can have a brighton who just comes out of nowhere a a newcastle that comes out of nowhere and then they're part of the conversation so like you know, and then you have a, a handful of years ago being Lesser City winning the league, and and now they're not yeah. there anymore, which is wild. Uh, so you know, I would say, uh, yeah, no, the, I, I, Prem is not a farmers league, and I think I think it's the most exciting. I I would, I'm I'm gonna have people scream Holland, when I Holland's say this, just that but good. it's 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 very MLS. I would say in terms of outside of like Manchester city, I think the predictability of it is, is not as set as it would be in like Ligon or La Liga. Right. Like you, you don't have a, Oh, it's definitely going to be these four teams and then the rest. Bleh. Yeah. So interesting. So moving on, uh, you know, this story is a little more of like a team, uh, you know, kind of going for the diamond that is than the diamond in the rough. And in this case, I am talking on Chelsea passing over Aguero and opting for Fernando Torres. So Chelsea is well known for their exorbitant spending during transfer windows, especially during the reign of their former owner, Russian oil baron Roman Abramovich. In the summer of 2010, Chelsea was searching for a dependable number nine, and they had two players near the top of their list. The first was a Liverpool striker, Fernando Torres, and Atletico Madrid's Sergio Aguero. Torres was making a name for himself in Liverpool, having scored 65 goals in 102 appearances. Even before jo- uh, joining the Merseyside Reds, Torres had made a name for himself in Spain, having shown a youthful flair in signing for Atletico Madrid's academy at the age of 11. Aguero, on the other hand, showed a lot of promise as a youth in Argentine- Argentina and signed for Argentina's Independiente's Youth Academy at age nine. At the age of 15, he became the youngest player to sign a contract with the Argentina Premier League club 
His uh, technical ability drew the attention of Atletico Madrid, who signed him from Independiente Club record uh, 20 million euros. With Atletico Madrid, Aguero scored 74 goals and 175 appearances. And in his time with La Liga, he won the Don Ballon, the Golden Boy, and the World Soccer Young Player of the Year. Uh, Aguero also uh, won the UEFA Europa League and the UEFA Super Cup. When Chelsea came knocking on Atletico Madrid's door, the club demanded a $40 million transfer fee, which Abramovich wasn't keen to shell out for the Argentine striker. Not only was the offer below the asking price, but Abramovich was offended by the $5 million uh, pound fee demanded by Aguero's agent, Bruno Satin. Things fell through, and Chelsea spent the first half of their 2010-11 campaign uh, without their the option they desired up top. In January 2011, Chelsea shelled out a then-English record transfer fee of £50 million for Liverpool's Fernando Torres. Chelsea saw a more seasoned and dependable option with Torres, but they were overlooked the possibility that he was past his prime. The fleet-footed striker became injury-prone, which diminished his pace that had previously tormented de- defenders in Europe. His move to Chelsea went down as one of the biggest business blunders in Premier League history. Aguero, on the other hand, moved to Manchester City in 2011 and would enjoy a decade of success that many players would kill to experience in one season. Aguero joined City for £38 million in 2011 and became a huge component for Roberto Mancini's side. He scored the winning goal to secure City's first ever Premier League championship in 2012 and would lift the trophy again in 2014, 2018, 2019, and 2021. He would also help them lift the FA Cup in 2019, six EFL Cups, and three FA Community Shields. He won the Premier League Golden Boot in 2015, Player of the Year in 2014, and would join the Premier League Hall of Fame in 2022. With all of this in mind, would Aguero have flourished in Chelsea's system? It's tough to tell, as Chelsea has an infamous track record with young, gifted players. Interesting. It's I have nothing nice to say about Aguero. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I... <sighs> He's very good. He's incredible. And, he was, and I He was perfect for that team. He really was. And I you know what? He's one of those guys. I look at him like Rooney where like I could never really hate him. Uh I like his talent was unbelievable and watching and here's the thing. I was probably a little more on the naive side in 2012 and I didn't know the full backstory of like how exactly Manchester City like rose to that sort of prominence. And so when, you know, watching them uh win that game again I was it against QPR? No, it was against Sunderland. Uh that uh no, it's QPR. It was QPR. Okay. Uh yeah. so watching him score that goal off that weird pass from Balotelli like uh what what a sort of moment that was and i you know it it got me i love the story of like you know city coming up obviously you hate it you know i i don't hold that against you but yeah no i i kind of loved it yeah i mean it's it's a classic because of just the moment of it I was obviously very salty that day, uh-huh. um, but yeah, you, I mean, you got to give credit if I don't know if it would have been 
you know, Chelsea is already a renowned club, even at the time then. Yeah. So I don't know if it wouldn't would have been he would have been seen as such a Premier League like great. Yeah. Because he didn't have he wouldn't have had that moment. It would have been like, oh, well, you know, if the same thing happened, he was on Chelsea. It's like, oh, yeah, for Chelsea's like fourth Premier League title. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the same ring like their first ever. Yeah. So I, I get the significance of it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yes, Chelsea, you know, they they haven't had the decade that Manchester City had, but they've been they've been mercurial uh over the years and i think like what we saw last year was kind of the you know uh, i think in eventuality that was gonna happen uh regardless like that was a team that eventually reached a point of spending where like something had to give at a certain point and i think that's that's what we saw right yeah no you're exactly right i mean he was uh, yeah, I hate him. <laughs> but <laughs> but moving on, yeah. I want to I wanted to go into a little bit of history, uh, a little bit back before we were definitely before we were watching. But it's a story that has been told by Sir Alex Ferguson that I find to be very significant because of who Sir Alex Ferguson was. Now, in the 1980s, a player named Paul Gascon or Gaza was his nickname, mm -hmm. was quickly making a name for himself playing for Newcastle United. He was quickly becoming one of the best players in the league, winning the PFA Player of the Year for the 87-88 season. Now, just at 21 years, he was already getting clubs looking at him. Those clubs were such as Manchester United then and Tottenham. But Manchester United thought that they were the club that was going to get him. Now, Sir Alex Ferguson has called this his biggest regret, which to me, 25 years, mm -hmm. 25 years, around 25 years of coaching. And this is your biggest regret uh -huh. kind of speaks to how special of a player he was. Now, this is what Sir Alex said when with his conversation with Gaza. I would do the accent, but I don't want to uh -huh. get in trouble. We spoke to him the night before I went on holiday. He says, go and enjoy yourself, Mr. Ferguson. I'll be signing for Manchester United. So I went on my holidays, but Martin Edwards, the then chairman, rang and said, I've got some bad news. He signed for Tottenham. They bought a house for his mother and father in the Northeast, and that swung it. So Alex Ferguson always recalls this as a mistake that he thought Gaza had made. And Gaza eventually would agree that this was the wrong move to make. Now, this being Alex Ferguson's biggest regret, I mean, you think about some of the other players in the world, mm -hmm. like, why this guy? Yeah. You know, you would think, like, Ronaldinho, Ronaldo. It's it's crazy how his biggest mistake is something from the 1980s. Well, and I, look, I will, I will admit I don't have kind of the greatest... Uh, breadth of knowledge, especially when you're talking like, you know, EFL prior to the Premier League and, you know, that sort of thing. It's something I'm interested in. And I, I you, like, you know, Paul Gascoigne or Gaza is, you know, and I always kind of think of him or, you know, because of Wayne Rooney's uh, nickname, Waza. But like, Waza. 
Yeah, Gascoigne was kind of a special player in that era. Like, I mean, he, I don't know, he was kind of like a, a an it factor player back in the 80s. Yeah, so he was he was the kind of player that really, he was very good at any type of control with the ball mm-hmm. around. So he was kind of the sort of player that you would see it glued to his foot. Um, he was very good at spatial awareness and especially playing players through um he sort of reminds me a bit of how de bruyne is now oh which yeah so he was he was a very good player um yeah i mean i just thought it was an interesting story how it was how it was a guy from the 1980s that was his ferguson's biggest regret i think it's the fact that it i i would say it's the fact that he got pipped you know it's 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 that he thought things were set and then uh, Tottenham really kind of pulled out the stuff. It's one of those things where I think like he looks at that and he's like, I could have done more. Or, you know, it's it's the fact that he let his foot off the gas. And, and maybe that's the thing that like set Ferguson on, you know, sort of the, the path. The to, war path. Exactly. The path to greatness was like. I am never going to make that mistake again. And I think that's right. You know, sort of like the uh, linchpin that, that just set everything else into motion with his career. So, you know, probably biggest regret, but also the, the base lesson. Yeah. The, his lesson. So that's, that's incredible. Um, but onto, so this next one is kind of the ultimate, like, kind of head in the clouds type of situation but um at a uh, certain time uh Zinedine Zidane was potentially heading uh to the Premier League uh to play with Blackburn Rovers so uh the Rovers aren't exactly heavyweights in English football but in the 80s and 90s they were absolute units well, that's more in the 1880s and 90s. But in 1992, Rovers gained promotion to the brand new English Premier League via the playoffs thanks to a takeover by local entrepreneur Jack Walker, who appointed Kenny Daglish as manager. Under his leadership, Rovers became Premier League champions and seemed to be set for life. Uh, the champions had been eyeing the French legend Zinedine Zidane to lend his services in the midfield at Ewood Park. The squad was stacked at the time, featuring players like Alan Shearer, Graham Lassou, and Colin Hendry. The club was flush with cash and were competing with the very top clubs of the Premier League. A young Zidane was performing well at French club Bordeaux and was only 23 years old. He would have been a fine fit for the Rovers' attacking options, which included Shearer and Chris Sutton. Uh, Blackburn had nearly everything lined up to secure the young Frenchman's signature, but he was ultimately denied. He was even flown to England with another target of Blackburn's, Christophe Duggery. Uh, However, the duo would eventually sign with Juventus and AC Milan, respectively. The reason for this? Blackburn's owner, Jack Walker, had veto power over potential signings, and that's exactly what happened. Walker's reason for turning down Zidane's signature uh, uh, to the Premier League club was based on his adoration of title-winning skipper Tim Sherwood. Walker reportedly said, Why do you want to sign Zidane when we have Tim Sherwood? 
Blackburn would go on to have a poor start to their 95-96 season and would spend most of the season floundering on the table. They would also get forced out of the Champions League from the group stage with only four points. In 1999, Rovers were relegated from the Premier League. On the other hand, Zidane would have a fruitful time with the Juventus and would move on to become part of Real Madrid's Galacticos in 2001. And kind of, kind of going back uh, to the the first story or your your story about uh, Lewandowski uh, potentially heading over to the Premier League. Same thing with Zidane. You know, is that something you could have seen as like a, a move that would have had the same impact for him as a player? I think I, I don't think it would have helped. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would have helped at all. Um, I mean, it's a Don. I feel a quote that Sir Alex Ferguson said. He said, give me Zidane and 10 planks of wood and I'll win you the Champions League. <laughs> he, I mean, he was a truly yeah. special player. Uh, it, it, you know, he's he's very well known for the headbutt scene around the world but uh i was there you were there (laughs) but i mean this i I was there this guy is absolutely legend status and i again you know this was a little bit before my time as as sort of like a football enjoyer but you know this is probably more in your court you know what yeah what exactly like did uh blackburn miss out on signing uh or or when they didn't sign zidane uh, someone who ended up becoming the best midfielder of all time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By, by far. Zidane yeah. uh, was, I mean, his, if you think like Kevin De Bruyne, Modric, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some other names are like, wow, like those are the guys, those are the maestros in midfield. Andrea Pirlo. The, the, Pirlo, yeah. they don't come close to Zidane. Yeah. Zidane. Zidane's skill of passing and his and his dribbling especially he used to just like glide through four players for just like a regular play Uh on a highlight just like his normal (laughs) his normal go yep he was unbelievable um especially when he was on that galacticos team with real madrid every where every single position was just you know like oh my god that guy worldies Um, yeah 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 just unbelievable. He was unbelievable talent. And I got to see his last two games ever. So I'm very proud of that. That's awesome. That's my flex. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and like even as a coach, there was there's a video that went out. Uh, it was like a couple years ago, but it showed him like still being able to hit dimes with a cross like, you know, 30 yards out, like just being able to place balls wherever he wanted them. And like, you know, he's been out of the game for a while, but yeah, his vision and his precision is incredible. Oh yeah, for sure. It's, I feel like when you got it, you never lose it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, speaking of losing it. So your, (laughs) your next story is titled the fax machine. And I, I have a little inkling. Like I remember hearing something about this, but yeah, I'll let you kind of go on with it. Yeah, this is one of my favorites. Um, I'm keeping on the path of random things that stop transfers <laughs> from going through. So this is this is about uh, David De Gea, who has just ended his 12-year stay with Manchester United. It's a long career. 
that spanned around 600 appearances for the club. He was the last on that 2013 title winning side to leave the club. Now he's always going to be seen as a Manchester great. Probably is he the best goalie we've ever had? There's an argument for that in Van de Sar, Mm -hmm. but he'll always be seen as a great. Although he nearly left in 2015 to go to Real Madrid. Now, 2015, De Gea was at the height of his career. He had won multiple player of the seasons for the club and become increasingly known for his insane reflexes and difficult saves. Now, one team that started to notice this was, of course, Real Madrid, who, if you if you didn't know this, uh-huh. tend to throw money at anything, at the best of everything. So, David De Gea was keen, given that he is of Spanish nationality, to go back to his country, Spain, and play for the Spanish Giants. And Manu was willing to sell him to them. Now, like we covered in our transfer windows episode, there is a deadline for transfers to take place. These deals aren't done within time, and they are considered null and void. Now, at this time, there was a package for money and a swap to get Kaylor Navas coming to Manchester and De Gea going the other way. And everything seems sorted. Now, what happened with De Gea's failure to join Real Madrid came down to a fax machine. Now, the final documents for De Gea's transfer were these Spanish tax forms, which are seen very important in Spain, mm-hmm. even though I feel like every player in Spain gets done for tax evasion. <laughs> but <that> is, <laughs> I've never understood yeah. that. But so these these tax forms were sent over to Madrid. Now, halfway through getting printing out these forms, their fax machine crashed midway, which delayed the forms, getting the forms out. Now, this got it going past the deadline of the transfer window and therefore made the transfer null and void. Wow. Now, you might be thinking, oh, De Gea probably just went the next window. No, De Gea ended up staying for eight more years until his departure this summer of 2023. Now, interesting recent news of Real Madrid goalkeeper Thibaut Courtois rupturing his ACL in practice. It looks like De Gea could be getting a move to Real Madrid eight years later. It's a maybe, it, but it's a possibility. Maybe, you know, and that's that's not bad. And I would say, like, you know, it's it's okay for United. You guys got Onana, so like, you're you're all set. They, and they need a goalie. That that sounds like a dream move. Uh, and and even if it's. You know, uh, I, I mean, I don't know who is behind Courtois because I, I don't know who it would be. I can, I could. I'm literally blanking. Yeah, it, like I couldn't tell you. So I would say, you know, if if the price is right as as far as wages go, like that would be a no brainer. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to pay a transfer fee or anything because he's gone. Yeah, it makes it so much simpler. I I I almost want him at DC. <laughs> I think what I think they have like an Could extra DP Like <laughs> I think everyone's just going to into Miami. Oh my god! Oh Jesus! And then now with oh gosh, you 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 put in a note that like it looks like uh, PSG is. We'll get into it in the news, but oh my gosh, with the yeah. talk going on. But anyways, 
flying through this. Uh, this one's an interesting one, and this one I didn't quite uh, know about until I did some digging. But Aston Villa balked at a five million pound uh, price tag for one. Falcao. Uh, so transfers are hard, and sometimes it's hard to tell if superstars are going to acclimate to their new teams or if upstarts can meet the hype. For Aston Villa in 2008, they had their sights at a young Colombian goal scorer named Radamel Falcao. Villa were quoted by the Argentine club River Plata at £5 million for the 22-year-old, but he was ultimately rejected as Villa favored si- signing Wigan Athletics' Emil Heskey instead. To Villa, Heskey was a tested Premier League uh, player and didn't think the Colombian would be worth it. Uh, Falcao eventually completed a move to Portuguese club Porto in 2009 and would win several trophies, including the Europa League, Taça de Portugal, and the Primera Liga treble in 2011. In 2011, he moved to Spanish club Atletico Madrid for 40 million euros and was a huge asset to the club's 2012 Europa League and UEFA, UEFA Super Cup victories and the 2013 Copa del Rey. Uh, during his time in La Liga, he would be heavily discussed with the likes of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo for who would be the best in La Liga. He would move on to Monaco and spend uh, loan spells with Manchester United and Chelsea, although an ACL industry uh, injury had diminished his contribution on the pitch. Would Falcao have made such an impact if he had uh, gone to Aston Villa? Uh, he may have been good enough to secure silverware or at the very least been a good investment to add to their transfer market war chest in the future. Villa was in decent shape at the time and they had a fairly successful campaign in the 2009-2010 season. Uh, they finished sixth in the Premier League and got knocked out in the FA Cup semifinals. They were runners-up in the EFL League Cup and they were eliminated from the playoff round in the UEFA Europa League. So he was Mr. Europa League and he very well could have been a a huge help for Aston Villa. Uh, What do you think about all that? Uh, I think if he, yeah, if he went when he was younger, um, at the time they were looking at him, it probably would have been better for his career. I think he came in when he had already gotten so used to different style of playing and coming into the premier league at the age that he came Mm -hmm. at was just sort of a weird way to see how it goes down. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm interested in a certain striker possibly going into Germany, uh, and seeing if he can do that. But as someone, as someone who had Falcao on his team, I'm pretty sure he had less than five goals. Yes. His, his later 26 appearances, yeah, something like that. (laughs) Yeah, so I I think, you know, if he had come in earlier, maybe, who's to tell, but when he did come in, not great. He had a, he, he had a fantastic individual career, but yeah, like, that's sort of the thing. Could he have uh, been that secret sauce for Villa? But uh, moving on, um, you know, this one hurts both of us because this was so, sort of a saga. <laughs> we lived through at the same time and so i'll i'll let you take this one yeah for for time's sake i'll make this my last one on this mm-hmm. uh also it's it's a pretty interesting yeah. one this one is titled when when dc ruined a dream <laughs> 
Now, when you play for DC United, that's that's pretty cool. You're a pro player in one of the largest growing leagues in the world. That's how it was for Luciano Acosta when he joined DC United. Luciano joined a team that had now coach Wayne Rooney, and they quickly built a great partnership together. Needing easily the two best players on the field, they were able to get DC to their playoffs, which seemed incredibly unlikely given the talent of the team and the coaching. Shout out to What's-His-Face. <laughs> After a great individual season with DC United, Luciano was enjoying his rest until the start of the new season in February. However, across the Atlantic at one of the largest clubs in the world, something happened. The global superstar named Neymar had just gotten a massive injury. With the January market in full swing in Europe and a Champions League run was in for PSG's future, club was concerned with what to do about their injured star. Looking for a short-term replacement for Neymar and someone who could add depth to the club, the Parisian Giants turned to none other than DC United's Luciano Acosta. Now, obviously, Acosta was, was facing a chance at top football that had never come close to in his career, and he was desperate for a move to PSG. PSG had offered around $4 million to DC United, but they were told no turn after turn. Towards the end of the January window and time was running out, Luciano flew himself out to Paris in the hope that DC United would let him live out a dream and play for PSG. He arrived there to find out that DC United would not back down from their request of double what PSG had initially offered, and PSG had just backed out of the deal completely, which left Acosta unhappy. Acosta returned grudgingly back to DC base team where he where his form immediately dropped and saw him eventually leave the club to go play for, I think it was Atlas, Atlas. in Mexico. Yep. And then he has come back and now he's playing for Cincinnati. And he always plays a little bit better when he plays against DC. Yeah. That was one of the most heartbreaking things. Like it, he was so good. And, you know, we all saw him. Like we remember the, you know, Lucharu connection, uh, especially the Orlando game where, you know, from 5,000 oh, yards best. out, Rooney hit a cross to Acosta, you know, who. It, it was a couple states at who, least. Uh, all of, you know, <laughs> two foot, three inches tall, like hopped over everyone else and scored just a banger of a header and and was that's easily the, the best play DC United has ever had. Um, Have you um, <laughs> do you know what my favorite part of that play what's is that when Rooney's running back and you look at Acosta and there's a guy running past Acosta to like get on the uh -huh. break and Acosta just trips and pushes yes. him <laughs> just gets completely unnoticed it's my favorite part by far it's, it's oh it's a fantastic run of play it's so good if you ever get a chance i might i might put uh a link to the youtube uh in the show notes but it's legendary flying through this because we're already like a full episode yeah. in uh my my last one is the Arsenal's comically awful attempt to land Luis Suarez. And the long and short of it was uh, in the summer of 2013, uh, Arsenal made a play for Luis who had uh, been frustrated 
by Liverpool, who was floundering. They missed out on uh, Champions League football, and he wanted to have a move that summer. So Arsenal, being like a notoriously quiet and miserly club, they knew that he had a clause in his transfer or in his contract where uh, essentially if they paid over 40 million pounds, they would get a chance to negotiate. However, what actually happened is that they did a 40 million pounds plus one pound just to trigger this clause. However, what maybe was missed or maybe something happened, maybe they knew exactly what they were doing, but they didn't account on Liverpool kind of doing a little shithousery was uh, essentially like going to the press. So the uh, one of the uh, owners or uh, high up people at the time basically went to the press, gave an interview, uh, essentially wondering what they were smoking over at the Emirates because they were like, there's no way that they're going to negotiate with Suarez like the 40 million pounds is just to like have us notify that, you know, a team is interested in Suarez. But Liverpool still had like the ability to like negotiate and say, no, that's not enough. We want more. And that's essentially what eventually happened. So between the two, ultimately things worked out for Suarez as Arsenal uh, or between Suarez and Arsenal as Arsenal got the target they really wanted in Mesut Ozil. Suarez eventually went on uh, to Barcelona and made the uh, MSN, you know, uh, trio at that club. But could Suarez been a catalyst for bigger things with the Gunners? Uh, Arsenal would enjoy an eventual FA Cup win and very closely missed out on the Premier League title. Uh, But at that point, uh, the Mercurio Suarez could have been a negative presence in the locker room. He, you know, biting aside, uh, he was... (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, kind of a problem, you know, as as far as his attitude goes. Uh, But, you know, I I think ultimately things worked out. Now, things did eventually sour with Ozil at Arsenal, which is could be a story in and of itself. But, you know, I that's one that, yeah, it is kind of that, you know, one that got away. But I don't know. I there are parts of me that thinks that maybe he wasn't quite mature enough at the time uh, for where Arsenal was at. Yeah, I mean, I think Suarez... Have you ever read... There's like a little biography on Suarez that I read that's all about sort of his hometown where he grew up. I know he grew up in a fairly rough background. Yeah, basically he grew up with like just crazy upbringing where like biting people and like doing whatever you can Mm. was like very normal, you know, which I understand that's sort of the mentality, but it sort of has given him this sort of insane thought process for, and like his, uh, what's the word? When you do stuff without thinking about it, without thinking. Oh, like kind of like an instinctual thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's sort of impulsive. There we go. Yeah, yeah. He was just he just became a very impulsive striker. I mean, he had that. He had uh, the racist remarks yep. to Patrice Evra, yep. which wasn't 
very great. Nope. <laughs> I don't think he's I don't think he's a good player to really have on your team in the long run. Yeah. Um but I mean he was a talented guy too. I guess we have to have to admit that. But personally not a fan. Yeah. No, that <laughs> if anything like yeah, at the time it was it was mainly just seeing him as like just that big target man who could just like cause problems yeah. for everyone and yeah, it just so happened like he would also he could also cause problems for his own team. But um, yeah, so that is the rundown of our Mount Rushmore of uh, transfers that never happened. And and that was a, a fun uh, sort of range of stories to go through. But yeah, so if if you're uh, down for it, do we want to go through a little bit of like a Women's World Cup update? Um yeah, so going yeah. going earlier, uh, how are you feeling about the lionesses right now? Uh, I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, the team that still scares me the most is Spain. I think I said oh, that on man. our last Spain podcast. Spain is that unreal. Was the, 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 that was the team that I was like, I'm kind of worried about them the most, you know, after the U.S. Um, so the U.S. getting out is fantastic, but... Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to pretend like we're the we're the for sure winners now. Um, especially with you know Lauren James, mm-hmm. who's now banned until the World Cup final for very intentionally stepping on a Nigerian player's back. Um, which very funny that she's Reese James's sister. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so she's definitely like one of our best players, if not the best. Um, I think she's our top scorer in the World Cup, too. Mm -hmm. So we are going to have to find goals from someone else. And uh, I guess I'll find out Saturday, 630 a.m. So, yeah, and and, uh, from what it sounds, uh, so there was an interview with The Athletic um, with England's Russo and and she uh she knows that it's going to be a tall order. Uh Colombia is a very physical team and that's sort of the thing with this World Cup. Like I think it's been in in the words of a certain Matt Turner, a real dogfight out there. Uh lots of games <laughs> where like I there there is a physicality and a uh aggression a ruthless aggression that I'm like really digging this year. And I'm, I'm kind of loving it. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a point to prove sort of yeah. deal. Um, I think especially with like women's equal pay mm-hmm. recently and, you know, especially with stories of, there's been a lot of stories in the last year or so of women getting mistreated in football in general. I've noticed, um, which we can always do more in information on yeah. that. But I think there's, you know, it's important that we support women's football, support women in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wish the times were better, but, you know, I, I try to watch the ones that I can. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it feels like a bit of a gritty, like, you know, watch us. We're athletes. We are tough. Yep. And I'm loving it. I think it's great. Yeah, and, you know, one thing I'll kind of touch on is, I mean, it's nothing new. Uh, the, the, the 
roaches definitely come out of the woodwork uh with the world cup like it definitely happened in the last uh series it was it's one of those things where like you can't really go right either way so like last year you know the united states women you know they were winners they beat everyone like straight out beat everyone in that tournament and uh you know they had every right to be cocky so you know obviously with rapino the commercial and, and her you know sort of persona and then you know alex morgan with the infamous teacup uh it was uh one of those things where like the world like truly hated the women and i i ate it up because i was like <laughs> hell yeah no like this is what you do when you are you know cream of the crop as one macho man randy savage would say uh you you have every right to talk and I, I right. mean, you know, five World Cups going on a third consecutive. There's an infamous video of uh, Crystal Dunn, Megan Rapino, uh, and and several others sort of coming out be- before their game against Vietnam, and they're all they're all in their fits. You know, they're dripping. Oh yeah, they're kind of they're they're doing a little bit of a uh, Ronaldinho. You know, a little little sweet step in a little bit, you know, and and for sure, like, you know, they're coming out uh, like Team Iceland in the Mighty Ducks. If you remember that movie, like just back in black, ready to go, just, you know, let's do it. And then, you know, yeah, they they definitely struggled. It was a weird World Cup. uh, So, yeah, you know, it was it was not great. (laughs) Yeah, I think part of what happened was which is why like they're getting all this flack now um is i mean first of all the media that they put on the us team yeah. like they have this one commercial my my instagram is very england based uh-huh. um just because of all the accounts and stuff i follow and so one of them was like i can't believe like the americans posted this only to get like knocked out blah 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 and it's that commercial where it's like, who's going to stop us? And it's like, we could go back in time and make them change sports. Oh God. And like, and it's like, oh my God, like maybe if we just like tied up Alex Morgan so she can't play, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, you had to, this is the only way to stop yeah. them from this and that. And it's like, yo, like, don't make them seem unbeatable. Right. You know, like they're very good, but you're putting them on a pedestal. That's like, if they do lose, it's going to crash on them. And, and- also, so, yeah. they entered with, uh, you know, someone who I think in the trenches of women's soccer coverage, like they know uh, Vlako Aronofsky is completely incompetent. He's the guy who looks at the default setting, uh, tactical settings on FIFA and says, yeah, that'll do. Like he like there is. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. No. I have everyone play a very rigid, organized four four two where nobody makes a run and everyone sits back and everyone's spaced out like crazy. And that's essentially like what he said. And then the players just kind of went with it. And, and then he decides, like, I'm not going to make any substitutions until at least the 75th minute. And that's uh, only going to social. Just had a flashback. Excuse me. <laughs> and then when it, when we do make subs, it's just going to be Rapino 
<laughs> that's it. Oh yeah. And then, look, I no shade to repeat it. Like she's a legend, but she was for sure like behind a step uh, in this World Cup, and she looked exhausted. Oh my goodness, it was it was really rough. And uh, there are there are bright spots, and I would say with the likes of uh, Sophia Smith, who you know had that brace in the first game, looked phenomenal. Uh, but also Naomi Gurma, the center back, is absolutely a monster, and she's so smart and moves so smartly on the field that she locks down plays before they happen. Uh, So, you know, it was, it was a rough group stage. And then eventually that game against Sweden came down to a literal millimeter uh, at the end of the, or in, I've never seen it. That was crazy. Penalty kicks. That's what it took to get the United States out. So, rough way to go super rough but like super proud of you know the the u.s women's national team and you know they they gave it their all it was a, it was a lot and you know stuff just didn't bounce their way uh it was it was just yeah it just kind of came down to it yeah uh, do we have time to go through any news? We have, or is, yes, we, or we had a point. We have, uh, yeah, just a, a spot of time we can talk about some news. Um, but yeah, so sort of going into it, uh, real quick, DC United finally uh, ended this saga with a troublesome player named Taxi Fountas. Uh, his contract has been uh, terminated because of racial abuse that's happened uh, twice uh, because of the troubled wingers. Uh, lack of control and, and yeah, it just gross. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's out. Uh, he was a very hyped player. And we're sad yes. that it kind of ended this way. Yeah. Um, on when top of that, it's, uh, it's a bit of. Oh. I was just going to comment on taxi. Yeah, go for it. I I think with it, what was so bad, it was a bit of a boy who cried wolf situation where uh-huh. last season he had a he had an alleged racial slur. And yep. he came back into the team. And then the second time to a teammate, yeah. you know, where he then tries to go and get a lie detector test to prove his innocence. And, uh, you know, the player that uh, that hit him after the comment is still playing for the team. It's like, OK, that means there are people that heard you say this, which means that the first time that you got accused of it, you probably did it then, too. Yeah. And so good riddance. Yeah, just a bummer. I was I was very high on the guy when he came in and it it looked like Same. he was a genuinely good dude, but uh clearly that is not the case. Um but anyways, I do have another story that was goals uh grades for the 2023's biggest summer transfers. That whole article might have might as well be thrown out the window now because like stuff has happened in the last day that like are now like invalid <laughs> with that story uh, yeah <laughs> particularly with this uh tyler adams uh situation but so anyways the next story i had was psg is slapping a 150 million dollar price tag on neymar who wants out of psg but then you you just put a in parentheses it looks like they're terminating his contract yeah so it looks like um 
because his amount is so much that they would want, and basically PS- PSG is a, is has the Mbappe trouble to deal with. Yes. They had to deal with Messi leaving. Yep. I think they're literally like, you know what? Less they're working on a way to terminate the contract so that they can just have a clean break. Mm. So it'll probably be that they don't have to pay Neymar any more of his salary and they can just let him go. And and so then the talk I've been hearing is that one of the LA teams could be in the running for him with a bonkers like apple slash a deal like basically the messy deal uh but for neymar and he would either are we just gonna start doing that with everybody that's that's just gonna be the thing now isn't it it's gross now like it's yeah i'm not liking this trend like i mean look these are things that wouldn't happen within the purview of like the mls wage and transfer structure like it's impossible for these players right so i guess like which again just get rid of the the stipulations then like if this is truly like where mls wants to go then like let's let's drop the facade you gotta change it you know this egalitarian league and where anyone can make it and just have the you know at least teams who have ambitious owners let them it's go like, buck wild. It's like very communist. Like it's, <laughs> it's very communist. So dumb. Like you're going, you're you're like this is MLS doing this. They have these rules that they have set in stone, and then MLS is circumventing their own rules. <laughs> it's the again, it's very communist. It's, it's so like so dumb. Oh, these are the rules for everyone, but uh, as seeing that I am Putin or Don Garber, I can uh, give my friends special yes. rules so they can get the better it stuff. It is corruption, and, it, and, and this is Donnie G. Like, this is his wheelhouse, and I hate it. Oh, it's, it's, it's one of the worst pretenses in the world of of like mls and it almost makes me side with like the pro rel uh idiots who are on twitter all the time but like no but anyways like i'm just like oh my god just get rid of the rules just make mls the premier league and just just let everyone go hog wild over it that's that's just uh, that's where i'm at but anyways up until yesterday, uh, it looked like, uh, you know, Bayern Munich was going for Harry Kane and the uh, price set on him was about 100 million pounds. And as far as like things go, it was like, yes, it was something that was being entertained. But then last night, like it looks like this is going through. Like, is that what your take is on it? Yeah, so um, the real life, the penguin, uh, Daniel <laughs> Levy accepted, actually accepted a bid uh, for Harry Kane. Yeah, it looks like a hundred, and then about plus twenty and add-ons. Uh-huh. Um, and today, Harry Kane flew to Berlin, or not to Berlin, to yeah. Munich. Sorry, and has done. I think he's done the first part <laughs> of his Harry medical. Harry Kane's going to Union Berlin. <laughs> Oh my god, oh could my you god, imagine? That'd be great. You know what's re- what's really interesting is apparently <laughs> this is this is all rumor, but apparently he's really pushing to get his medical and signing done so that he can play tomorrow yeah. because they've got the super cup <laughs> and he wants his first trophy. <laughs> you know what? Hey, for sure. I love it. Yeah. Throw do him it. out there. He just can do, do it. it. 
Oh my God, that's great. Um, lastly, now, I don't know where this comes from because I am not familiar with this player, but Liverpool is uh, facing fierce battle with Chelsea over Moises uh, Caicedo. Is that, is that how you say his name? Uh, Caicedo. So today, today has been all about him. So basically <laughs> what has happened is Brian has said highest bidder gets Caicedo. Mm-hmm. They're all like bet. <laughs> Chelsea put in like 110, I think wow. it was, for him. And Brian's like, bet, you win. And then Liverpool's like, yo, we want to give 124 for him. And Brian's like, bet, <laughs> you win. Okay. And then... And everyone's like, oh, like, Kaiseido is going to Liverpool. Yeah. And then around, like, lunchtime, Kaiseido publicly puts out, he's like, I don't want to go to Liverpool. I want to go to Chelsea. And so, <laughs> like, just before that statement comes out, Chelsea uh, goes to Leeds and it's like, yo, 20 million pounds. Give us Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams. And then it gets yeah. to the point where, like, He's there for his medical and like you're even getting bleacher report put, you know, putting him in a superhero like Chelsea uniform. And like it looks like that's happening, but apparently not. Yeah, I think Tyler just got left in the dust yeah. a bit. I, I feel a little bit bad for him. Uh-huh. Um well, I mean, we'll have to see. Leeds, obviously, not in the Premier League this season. Yep. So we're, I mean, I think a lot of those players are trying to run. I know uh, Wes and McKinney is out. Yeah. McKinney got yep. out. Tyler Adams, who's also seen as like the leader on that yeah. team, um, is trying to get out as well, <laughs> which is kind of a bummer if you're a Leeds yep. fan. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to see. I'm really interested in the Caicedo thing, but. I think whoever loses that, there's still there's still Tyler Adams, there's still uh Lavia, mm-hmm. the Southampton guy who's around. Um yeah, we're gonna have to this is gonna the next couple of weeks are gonna be crazy. It, yeah. And of course the Premier League started today. Yep. So we're in full swing. Uh ultimately what happened with the uh Burnley and, and Manchester City match. At, when I left it off, it was smashed two nothing. Yeah, ended uh three nothing, which is actually what I predicted. Uh Holland had two goals. Nice. And who are the third? Oh, Rodri. Okay. Um Burnley actually looked good, but like it's Manchester yeah. City. And you've just been promoted. So I mean um, football yeah, football I, is back, baby. Like this is I'm so excited. This is the best time to get into it, especially for the fact that Arsenal off some uh off a truly crap goal uh ended up taking the uh FA community shield game to uh to penalty uh shootout oh, yeah. yeah and uh yeah unfortunately like it was uh was it Kevin De Bruyne missed one he skied one out and then uh oh he left the game oh, injured today oh shoot really wow yeah, hamstring Yikes. again. Um, 
but yeah, like Saka, uh, he he finally converted and he he had a good one. And uh, yeah, Arsenal ended up winning, uh, as as I put it, the King serving plate. So football is back. I'm loving it. This is great. Yeah, uh, it's an exciting time. I'm not going to let Daniel use this platform to get people to become Arsenal fans. Uh, <laughs> there are many good teams. Support support any of them. Just not Chelsea, and then we're fine. Honestly, I'm I'm with you there. I I will I will more often than not uh, strike up a conversation with a Manchester United fan than I would with a Chelsea fan. So there is there is that. Yeah, I tend to turn my back on the Chelsea fans. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, this has been uh, a really good fun episode. Uh, loved going through these stories. Um, anyways, Tom, where can the good people find you on social media? Yeah, so guys, you can find me on Instagram at tiferguson94. And then, of course, on Twitter, you can find me at Snitch McConnell. And Daniel, where can people find you and find the Artful Nutmeg? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Professor SDFC. And you can find me on X, I guess now, uh, Daniel605Wise. Uh, it's still Twitter. Oh, boy, it still is Twitter. Whatever. Uh, the Artful Nutmeg, you can find it on Instagram and on Twitter by searching for The Artful Nutmeg or at The Artful Nutmeg. Uh, thank you to all who listen to our show and support us. Remember to be well and watch more soccer. 